Hi guys, thank you so much for tuning in to Got You On Air. I'm your host, Heya, and this podcast has your back with valuable insights, perspectives, experiences, and stories from some really cool people doing some really cool things. On today's episode, I'm going to be speaking to Faye. Faye Abdelghafoud is a doctor working in Kuwait and is an aspiring neurologist. After medical school, she did her master's in clinical neuroscience in London. Her aim is to promote medical education both academically and to the general public. I can't wait to get her take on COVID, mental health, and a bunch of other topics today, so stay tuned. Hi, Faye. Hi, Heya. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So for everyone now obviously knows because I've done the introduction, Faye is a junior doctor and uh, she's been in the COVID scene for the past year. And seeing that it's been like a year on, a little bit over a year since Kuwait's really been through the thick of thick of the pandemic, um, I thought it would be good to kind of reflect on everything and answer some questions that I've had. And I know a lot of the people around me, friends and family have had, and I'm sure you can answer them. Yeah, happy to. Yeah. So what has the experience been like for you in general, just as like an overall broad reflection of like the past year? Um, yeah, so I've been working a little bit over eight months now. Mm. Um, I think it's been really different. You know, I spoke to doctors saying, you know, like, is this normal, the rotations and whatnot? Yeah. Everyone's like, Faye, this is yeah, I need the furthest from normal. Yeah. Um, it was very laid back before as a, yeah, a junior, newly starting. There was... Um, like a program type of thing yeah. that you could do before working. But now I think they're just trying to make the best out of the situation. They're trying to fill in the gaps wherever doctors are needed. Mm. Um, but it's been really interesting. It's been emotional. It's been, I mean, funny at times. Yes. A lot of emotions, a roller coaster mm. of emotions, mm. I have to say. It's intense for you guys because... I feel like you've seen a lot of the things firsthand and then us maybe sitting at home, we're kind of more in the dark, whereas you guys are, have a lot of access to um, a lot of cases, a lot of information. So I can imagine it's a completely different roller coaster of emotions for you guys um, than it was for us. But we also, I mean, went on quite a bit of a roller coaster, but I think just in a different way. So you weren't planning on getting this much hands-on experience this early in your career. Yeah, I mean, um, after graduating, so I graduated uh, summer 2019. Mm, same. Um, Really? Yes, twins. Nice. So I graduated uh, summer 2019, and then I was kind of in a dilemma. Should I go back and start working? Because obviously when you graduate, you just like, you want to get to You want to dive in. Yeah. Exactly. You really want to just get working. Mm. Um, so I had an option to continue doing a master's, which isn't something that a lot of doctors do. It's not... I mean, I don't want to say it's not. it doesn't help a lot clinically, but mm. I think... It does help um, on an academic level, on a like research. Yeah, side absolutely. Of yeah. Um, so I decided to go ahead with it, mm. um, and it was super useful. Four months into the masters, there was this whole uh, Corona situation in China. Yeah, and I remember reading it in the news, and I was like, "Oh, this is interesting." Yeah, and I read about it, and I never ever thought it would, you know, make its way out the way it yeah. did. Yeah. It happened so quickly. By February, it got to Kuwait. Um, and I think it just spread so quickly. And I, I never would have imagined it. I don't think it was uh, the word that we always see and we like have kind of grown to hate and this is unprecedented. Literally. Unprecedented. <laughs> but we all had to like adapt really quickly. So you came back when? Yeah, so in uh, March, I think, uh, London went crazy, I think. Mm. There wasn't a lot of media on, on what was actually going on. But I mean, in South London... 
a lot of people were breaking into stores, uh, stealing a lot of clothes. They were burning in a panic. Yeah, they were burning down stores. I mean, I think it was just like a an opportunity to rebel yeah. in, in some parts of London. Instability, um, kind yeah. of. Like funny enough, that's where my university was, South London. Oh no way! Uh, yeah. Okay. So um, in March, I flew to Dubai. Um, we stayed there for a month, and then I was part of the Ijlat team came to Kuwait. Okay. So everything else was online, the rest of the master's course. Oh my God. And you didn't expect that, obviously. Yeah. 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 A lot of my friends who were doing master's, they had to like change course super quickly because everything went online. Yeah. And some things, I guess, aren't planned, but I feel like maybe you being here, you got some experience that, a very intense experience that maybe you ha- wouldn't have gotten if you had uh, stayed and continued your master's. Yeah. Thing. I mean, it was, it was great because I came back, uh, I still had my dissertation to do mm. and I decided to start working while finishing the dissertation. Yeah. Um, I think motivation was a little bit challenging mm. because mo- yani I didn't have as much motivation to go ahead and do it yeah. as much as I would have had I stayed in London. Yes. I mean, in a in a lab, which is yeah. where I wanted to do my dissertation. Yeah, Zoom University is tough. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then I started work in uh, June and it's been really good ever yeah. since. That's amazing. Oh, I mean, obviously Kuwait did their best to get everyone back in the beginning for you made your way home and all that, um, which is good. And you got your experience. I just feel like sometimes in, in, in Kuwait, the way we do things, um, there, there tends to be like a lot of misinformation. And I yeah. feel like sometimes when you're working in the hospital, obviously you have all the facts on hand, kind of what I touched on earlier. But there's this disparity between what the facts are and what people are being told, like mm. WhatsApp, all these things. And uh, I found, especially around the virus, there's been like a lot of myths. Yeah. If I feel like we can do a bit of myth busting here. I'm down. So the first one that like comes to mind that many people are concerned about is with the vaccine, obviously. Like, what is this vaccine? What is it going to do? Da-da-da-da-da. Is it evil? And uh, the number one thing is infertility. Yeah. And uh, could you speak on that a little bit? Is that is that a thing? Like, do people need to be worried? Yeah, I mean... When when I first heard people, I mean, saying, oh, like, we don't know this is going to make me infertile, how many years down the line? I think, first of all, we need to save humanity first mm. before we worry about infertility, okay? Right. Second thing, um, I did a bit of research on this topic specifically. Um, the reason where it came about was this... So we all know how the the virus looks like. It's like a yes. We've seen memes and everything mm. on how spiky. Like it's a, yeah, spiky. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the spikes um, they thought was extremely similar to um, a protein mm. that is used to help grow the baby mm. via the placenta. Right. Okay. That turned out to be completely wrong. I mean, they're not the same. They have nothing to do with each other. No correlation. No correlation whatsoever. Um, I mean, even if that were to be true. Uh, we would have an increase in miscarriages and not infertility. Right. Even if, but mm. it's not true. Mm. Um, obviously, it's really hard to say what's going to happen down the line. But I mean, based on the current evidence and the current science behind it, even how the vaccine works has nothing to do with um, affecting like your ovaries or your, your you know, yeah. like, reproductive system. Yeah, it seems it seems it seems all fine. I feel like people um, on these like uh, I don't know if it's like Reddit or Twitter or WhatsApp where people kind of spew these kind of conspiracy theories, and uh, it's very easy to get sucked into them when there's a lack of evidence from quote unquote official sources. Yeah, I mean, um, there's also I mean I don't know if you guys heard about the the link between a long time ago. There was this guy called Wakefield, and he basically 
said he was the first guy who said there's a link between autism and getting vaccines mmr vaccines specifically um that till this very day has had you know like so many uh, so many people believed him but it was complete um you know yeah it was it wasn't yeah it wasn't there was no truth to that no truth to that whatsoever and i mean to this day people yeah believe that or you know i don't want to vaccinate my kids because mmr can cause autism but yeah wakefield the the paper was retracted from the lancet and yeah it turned out to be really not true so yeah i feel like over the course of like history there has been some distrust between the medical community and what's considered factual and scientific versus kind of um one's own personal choice and personal freedoms and will to do what they please i remember a long time ago like what was it, in the 60s or not even 40s 50s they'd be like oh cigarettes are amazing for you <laughs> smoke a cigarette a day keep the doctor away whatever and now we know it's one of the most lethal things you can do to yourself over yeah. time so it's just crazy how things can change so i'm not surprised that that paper was was removed of course get the vaccine and they smoke like i don't know yeah yeah times a day. yeah it doesn't, make sense. it doesn't make sense yeah, at yeah. all yeah i know what you mean and uh, especially with the vaccines like there's been this uh we t- we tend to turn everything into like a bit of a competition and like oh, uh, a popularity contest so my cousin messaged me the other day she's like oh what vaccine did you take i was like oh i took this one she goes oh that's the rolls royce of vaccines i'm like I- i'm like okay so what does this mean so that you know people are like i'm not gonna go take it if it's Oxford. i'm not gonna go take it if it's pfizer what do you say about that kind of vaccine popularity contest? I mean, <coughs> essentially, they, they both work the same way. Um, they have the same end goal, which is to uh, make antibodies. Okay? Yeah. Pfizer does this by introducing a bit of um, RNA. Um, and it basically tells your cells to produce these antibodies. Mm. Okay. Oxford does this in a way where it's, I mean, it's a little bit different. So they put this piece of RNA into a cell that's inactive. Okay? Yeah. And then they introduce this inactive cell into your body. And then um, it also makes your body produce antibodies. So essentially, they work in the same way. But I don't know why there's been like this vaccine war between, oh, well, yeah. uh, uh, Pfizer, Exxon, and Oxford, yeah, or yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's all that. It's all that. Um, and I think maybe a part of it is rooted in choice. Because I think this past year, we haven't had that much uh, choice when it comes to things. You know, a lot of things have been forced onto us, obviously, in the name of safety and all these things. So maybe they're kind of getting that, like, freedom of choice out on the vaccine when it doesn't really make sense because they all do the same thing. So... Faye, you were doing your master's in the UK. Yeah. And Anna, I, I, I love to like go to the UK. I think many people here are used to like taking a quick trip to London every once in a while. Oh, yeah. But I, I feel like in the UK, what uh, what they were saying for a long time is, oh, we're going to go off um, data, not dates. Yeah. I kept saying it. Data, not dates. Data, not dates. And a lot of people found that frustrating because it's like, okay, fair enough. Maybe you can't give us a concrete, uh, concrete time based on your evidence, but also as like human beings, we need something to look forward to. That's so true. And we need like a marker kind of just to keep hope alive. Yeah. Uh, And then, uh, I mean, their prime minister ended up putting in a plan where there was, where there were dates in place. How do you think that can affect people's mental health in a positive way? And how does it affect the, the pandemic in general, just having concrete dates? I think ideally that's what we want, you know, like, I mean, generally speaking, I personally always look mm. forward to, okay, what's the next thing I can do? Even if I'm going through a rough time now, mm. I look in the future and go like, okay, how can I, yeah, I mean, 
have where can I plan something fun to yeah. get me through this time? Yeah. I think ideally that's great mm. uh, what the UK is doing, but also I think it's really difficult to you know just have a set date. Yeah. I think it was the 12th of April things are oh. going to start opening again. 1st of June they're going to start traveling, but at the same time I think it's difficult because you know like last year did we really think that this was going to be going on for more than a year? Did no, we really think that we're going to have a wave uh, like we do right now in Kuwait? Mm. Um, so yeah, I think it's difficult, ideal, but difficult. Yeah, it's ideal, exactly. And um, I think what it comes down to is like this that feeling of certainty, mm. like feeling you can literally like have something concrete, like you said, even when you're going through a hard time, not even with a pandemic, you're like, okay, it's fine. Like I'll go do this next week and it'll make me feel better. Yeah. So I feel like uh, just, I mean, Obviously, in Kuwait, we're, we ha- we are going through an, another wave. But I think a sense of certainty would be something we could look forward to in the future if we had, like, dates in place um, to kind of, I don't know, give us some hope yeah. and just keep us moving because it's hard. It's hard, especially when you don't know. Especially when some of the decisions come out the night before. Yeah. Do you know yeah, what I, I mean? I agree. So, yeah, it's a, it's a confusing time with, like, a lot of different kinds of information. And uh, one thing my sister and I talked about was how... Everybody has different symptoms. Everyone <laughs> goes to the virus in a different way. Yeah. Um, so what do you think people can expect if they do catch COVID? How can they prepare? What are the most common symptoms that they can look out for? Like something that I've noticed, um, this isn't based on like, I don't know, statistics or whatever. Something that I've noticed from people who've actually had it, there's one set of observations. Mm-hmm. So like two people, um, someone who has it really badly doesn't usually get the nose symptoms of like lack of smell. But people who get it mildly do. Okay. Which is weird. I don't know. That's something that I've personally noticed with like friends, family, sometimes patients. Um, but generally speaking, you get um, the the anosmia, uh, lack of smell, is really specific for COVID. I yeah. mean, it's it's like I think it was twenty seven times more specific than like cough and fever and everything else. Oh my god! So that lack of the sm- real like telltale. Yeah. Um, in addition to the lack of smell, you can get uh, cough, fever, mm. uh, joint pain. Um, I think it feels like you've had a really, you know, intense workout at the gym. Yeah, you know how it feels. Not the day after, but the day after. Yeah, it's yeah, like, it's yeah. The two days after. Yeah. Soreness, it's, yeah, it's it's the two days after of like the really bad, um, you know, muscle pain, cramping. Yes. Um, and just the breathlessness, and then I mean, there's a there's a like mild, moderate, severe. Severe, yeah. you get really bad. You know, like your oxygen saturation start going down. You might have to be on a ventilator. Um, but fun fact, ICU, so that's the intensive care unit. There haven't been any, if not like lit- very, very little patients, mm. if not um, none, who've had the double dose of vaccine. Okay, so, that's so amazing. Yeah, so vaccines are preventing people, even if they do get the virus, um, it's dampened down a lot. So yeah, hospitalization, yeah. like unfortunately, like death. Or Basically. Any- Okay, that's really good. So that's I think that's the main incentive for taking the vaccine because uh, I read that the, you can still sp- you can still obviously catch the yeah. virus and you could be at risk of spreading it, but just the hospitalization and the those yeah. rates are much lower. Yeah, basically. So ICU admissions yeah. are so much more low. Yeah, a few of my friends had actually had uh, had COVID and they said that they still some of them still have lasting effects um, in their when it comes to their their lung capacity, how much they can breathe, how much they can actually withstand a workout. Like these people used to be the fittest people I know. Yeah, and run for miles and miles, and now they can barely do like half a mile because it's just their lungs need a second to I guess recuperate and regenerate. Yeah, I think it might take a while to you know get your lungs back to where they used to be. Mm. Um, the X-rays of people who 
have uh, you know corona are really bad i mean they're really really bad x-rays yeah um there's a lot of fibrosis so mm. fibrosis might take a while for your body to overcome it's not like um like um inflammation or infection type of thing where okay yeah you're yeah, you're yeah. done uh, it's gone so fibrosis might take a while um another thing that i've noticed is like post covid migraines so yeah. a lot of people have had like headaches after covid absolutely um that when they haven't really experienced them in the past yeah and it's it's the, it's the young like what you see in young people it's like oh no like it's too early for you to be having these exactly, uh, like symptoms yeah. that you don't know when they're gonna go away there's another level uncert- of uncertainty so with all these things happening and if you catch it what are some ways that people can get healthy and strong again like what are your top tips for okay. recovery yeah so in the hospital <coughs> what they usually do is there's like a khalta mm. so you give them vitamin d vitamin mm. c and zinc Okay, all of which are available in pharmacies. Yeah. So if even if you do get COVID and you're stuck at home, I mean, it's mild. It's it's just basically a pain. Yeah. Um, you can self-medicate with those things. Those um, are what we give patients in hospital. Um, in addition, there's nothing specific to getting back on track, but I think it has to do with I think your mentality and your mindset yeah. more than anything because mm. it can really take a toll on your mental health yes. being ill not being able to go out especially I mean with the lockdown and everything mm. um, so just like hydrating eating healthy um, trying to get some exercise even if it's difficult with the lung capacity like you mentioned yeah it's funny that you say mindset because I think a lot of it does have to do with the mind one of my friends told me that uh, she knew someone in the COVID ward uh, and they were speaking to their doctor abroad every day because they were super anxious and they had a doctor a friend that was abroad and this doctor just kept telling them just smile just keep smiling keep smiling just just don't take it too seriously try and laugh watch a funny show keep your mood up yeah, and, and I think that's the same for anything in life. Yeah. I think this, if the pandemic has taught me one thing, yani, mm. I've changed my thinking completely. Yani, yes. I've literally sat down, literally alone, yes. at home, got it down like a piece of paper, and I'm like, okay, Faye, yani, what do you actually value? Come on, like mental health-wise. Don't, don't, yeah, I mean... Try and look at the positives. Yes. Don't, yeah, not toxic positivity, yes. like how everyone's preaching. But I mean, realistically speaking, I think... Um, psychology and cognitive behavioral therapy is super important when absolutely. it comes to this. Absolutely. Super important. I think there is a strong link. And yeah, I wanted to ask you, like, how, in what ways has your outlook changed um, during COVID, either being a doctor or just you personally? I mean, I think so much has changed. And looking back at last year, this time, I was a completely different person. Isn't that crazy? It's it's insane. And you will literally last year when I was in Dubai this time, um, waiting to go back home. Mm. Every like my goals were different, my thinking was different. So much changed, Danny. I, I think I reflected a lot on what actually matters mm. in my life. Mm. What do I actually value? I stopped. I tried to incorporate what I value on a daily basis. Yes. I literally got a piece of paper down. I wrote that. Okay, so my career is important. Yes, mm. I value. Uh, being compassionate, being empathetic. So this is something that I can, um, you know, like let out in my job. Yes. Um, I also am super adventurous, super spontaneous. So this is something that I let out when I go fishing in Kuwait. Yeah. Um, So yeah, so many different things that I just try to incorporate to have Mm. a fulfilled 
life. Yeah. So you find like different uh, um, like mediums to get out these parts of your personality. Yeah, core yeah. values. Exactly. That's so important. That's actually a really that's actually a really good tip to kind of sit down and get it on paper and uh, kind of have like the PEMDAS of your life. Like, what are your order of operations for you? Do you know what I mean? Which is which is really interesting. I love that, and I think that's uh, that's really valuable. I think, yeah. I think everyone should take time to dig into themselves and find out what they really prioritize. One thousand percent, Yanni. I think most of my life before COVID, I was I don't want to say I was living on autopilot, but mm. I think I was just going from one thing to the, to the next. Okay, yeah. what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? Yes. I never actually, you know, like sat down and I don't know. Made I think like mindful decisions. Yeah, I think it's just been um, super, I don't know, spiritual slash it's um, been, yeah, like self-reflecting, personal. Mm. It's been such an individual. It's in a, in a way, everyone's going through it, which is kind of, it's terrible that it's a pandemic, but at least it's comforting that like, okay, we're all in this together kind of thing. Exactly, yeah. Um, but also the whole journey has been very individual uh, in terms of self-reflection, yeah. even in the work that you're doing, like that, I would consider that like a form of self-reflection. And um, in that way, you learn a lot about yourself. And it's crazy that everyone I speak to says, I'm not the same person I was last year. Oof. And I think the amount of growth that's happened in the past year would have taken us maybe five to ten years to, to, I, I to accomplish. Not, I am not joking. In my eight years abroad, mm. I don't think I've grown as much as yes. I have in the last year. I swear. Honestly speaking. Yeah. And it's that autopilot. Like you just kind of go through the motions. Uh, I don't want to say we were taking things for granted. I lived abroad. I studied abroad yeah. as well. And I don't know if I took that time for granted. I really did, you know, appreciate and uh, take as much as I, out of the experience as I could. Yeah. But looking back, if I had a time machine and could do it over... I would do it completely differently. Well, me too. Just after, yeah. just after this time. Well, me too. I think my just my view on life in general yeah. has changed so much. Yeah, I mean, what I value, my family, my support system. I just have so much appreciation and gratitude towards yes. them. Yes. Yeah, I actually feel like, I don't know if you can relate, but I can see clearer. Like, I can see my life in a clearer so way. So true. Yeah, and um, that all comes with the priority thing, which makes so much sense. So true. So I guess that kind of leads me to my next question, which is, has this, like, pandemic made you question your career path, or has it done the opposite and brought you actually closer to your purpose and made you more motivated to to continue in this in this career path? I mean, like I said, I think, Yanni... Me as a person, um, I love science. Mm. I love um, the human body. I love physiology. Mm. So I think it's great to have that in my job. Um, even when I was in med school, the brain was amazing for me. I loved the brain. So which is why I decided to do my residency in neurology. Mm. Um, and I think I made the right choice. I don't think. I, I you know. I definitely did uh, do the right choice. Certainty. Um, because whenever, yeah, certainty. Mm. I think this is the only thing that's certain in my life right now. Yes. As of this moment, that's the only certain thing It's in my crazy. Life. I don't want to talk to you, but that's literally what people find the most uncertain thing. Like their career and mashallah, and that you are so sure about it, which is which is amazing. Yeah, I'm uncertain about everything else, but this <laughs> is at least one thing that I know like amazing. I enjoy doing. I love that. One thing that, was, that made me um, want to do neurology was a case that I saw in med school. Mm. Um, so there was this guy who had Parkinson's disease. Um, and what they did was they brought in patients who had, you know, like specific symptoms. Um, and as students, you sit there and basically take a history. So this guy walked in. I want to say he was in his 60s. Mm. He looked completely asymptomatic. There was nothing like they didn't tell us at this time he had Parkinson's. He just walked in, sat down in front of us and we we're just looking at each other. And he, mm. what, you know, what does he have? Yeah, we're completely clueless. And then the consultant neuro like neurologist looks at him and he's like, can you please switch off your device now? Mm. So he goes 
underneath his collarbone and switches off his device. Mm. And then he was like, okay, can you please get up and start walking now? And I kid you not, from the amount of trembling that he had, he oh couldn't he couldn't God. walk. And this device was called uh, deep brain stimulation. And it's used for patients with Parkinson's. Oh and it gosh. is life-changing. <gasps> and it goes from someone who can't hold a cup of water because of, you know, they don't, don't have control over, yeah. over their movement. Um, it was literally mind-blowing. That's and insane. It, it was the first time where I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Um, and I actually was really emotional seeing that. Wow. Yeah. Sounds like a, like a miracle device almost. Yeah, it's amazing. And literally, it was that time when I was like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. I think there are so many like miraculous moments in medicine that kind of keep your your uh, inspiration alive, like yeah. as a doctor to keep going and and uh, keep helping people, which yeah. is which is amazing. I think uh, in general, what I see now with like a lot of the youth, Bill Equate and in general, our generation has a lot of drive for compassion and empathy. And I think that's what drives a lot of our career uh, career paths, yeah. which I think is so cool and so meaningful. Leanne is with us in the studio today. Hi, Leanne. Hi, Hi guys. <laughs> and, uh, I'm back. And I know she has a burning question. Leanne, go for it. No, I was just, just going to ask Faye, like, obviously, sh- I know you're going to start specializing in the brain. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to know sort of what pushed you to want to specialize in that specifically. Because just speaking from a, a personal experience a couple months ago, and I've mentioned it on the podcast before, mm-hmm. I went through a, a, a pretty rough time. I, I've always experienced, you know, anxiety here and there. Yeah. But a couple months ago, it was on a kind of another level where I was very panicky every day. Yeah. I had the jitters. I would wake up and I sort of got stuck in like a thought cycle where it wasn't really what I was used to. It was a lot of like, what if, what if, but, but mm. it was the same question every day. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, Yanni, Leanne, I think it's so important that we're talking about this. Thank you, Haya, for, for allowing us to talk about this. Oh my this. God, yeah. please, the floor is yours. Yanni, um, I think mental health in Kuwait isn't something that's talked about so much. Okay. Uh, I think we're so reluctant to like talk about it. But like I said, I was going through a really rough time towards the end of med school. Yeah. I was very confused. Um, like suddenly I started feeling really anxious, really, you know, exactly like you. The thoughts that I were having were like weird, yeah. um, anxiety provoking, um, and they were really obsessive. Okay. Um, so apparently I, 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 as a, as a medic, I didn't know that I had this, but I had something called obsessive compulsive disorder, mm. um, which, um, yeah, and when you read about it in the in in like or or hear about it, it's not what it actually is. Yeah, I want to talk about this because if anyone mm. has experienced like intrusive thoughts or anxiety provoking thro- like thoughts, mm-hmm. I I just want them to know that this is yeah, I something that you should definitely seek attention for. Yeah, okay? absolutely. Yeah. There's um, no shame. And one of the so I started getting uh, obsessions when I was in fourth year so year four out of five in med school Mm. um and like i said i had no idea what was going on it came completely out of the blue um and i went and i i seeked help and Mm. apparently i had ocd yeah um and i had symptoms when when i was a kid that went away and literally when i used to pray it took me 45 minutes I remember specifically getting my brother, yani, going home from school. I remember feeling anxious and uh, is this the right way? Is this? Um, I remember getting Fahad, my brother, and go like, Fahad, can you please see if I'm doing it right? Mm. Um, 
which I yani, grew out of. Yeah. And yeah. then it suddenly yeah. came back in yeah. Jam'a. I was so confused, so scared, literally like scared. Mm. Um, because the thoughts came back and obsessions came back as, you know, completely different. And something that people don't know about OCD is it's very, um, it doesn't just have to do with, you know, cleanliness and on organization. Mm. You can have uh, violent thoughts. You can have sexual thoughts. It's, it's a disease of doubt. Yeah. yeah. You basically are in constant doubt. The part of your brain, your orbitofrontal cortex, mm. uh, which is in the front part of your brain, um, which is kind of involved with decision making and uh, rationale, madrub, it mm. doesn't work. Mm. So you have a thought which people who don't suffer from OCD or anxiety can just completely bypass. You know, it's a thought. This isn't me. Imagine you're in the road and someone's crossing the road and go like, "Oh, what if I run him over? Okay, what if uh, any someone, a normal person." Everyone gets intrusive thoughts, yes. but the difference between someone who has OCD and someone who has who doesn't is they they give the thoughts meaning. Mm. Does this mean I'm a bad person? Does this mean I'm you know kada kada kada? And it's just like an endless cycle, it's especially. It's, it's take it sucks your energy. It, it truly does. Really does. And I guess it comes out more maybe when you're under more stress yeah, at a specific point in your life. So you're saying maybe when you were in uh, mm. college, of course, it, it hit you more. Me, obviously, with the whole Corona situation, yeah. everything coming to the surface, yeah. it it came up for me. But see, I wouldn't have even known it had something to do with, let's say, OCD, because I relate OCD to, did I switch on that light? Exactly. Did I, you know, that type yeah. of thought where it was no, it was more like what if, what if, yeah. but it would yeah. repeat. And Heya knows, like it was the doubt. Yeah, yeah that actually makes yeah. sense. Yeah, no, it was no, tough. No. Yeah. It's tough. It's and hard. I, yeah, and I think one thing. I mean, this is kind of any. I've always been interested in the brain and psychology and mental health in general. Mm. But one one aspect, or one reason why I wanted to do the masters in clinical neuroscience was literally to understand what was going on in my brain. Yeah. I mm -hmm. needed to know what was going on. I wanted to understand. You know, I don't know if this was an obsession on its own, but I just wanted to understand. You wanted that. answers. I wanted answers. And um, yeah, so it was in, um, I did a lot of research on OCD, how to, you know, like get over it, um, um, the Move. pathophysiology behind it. No, I was just going to say like move within it. Like exactly. how, yeah, what are different exactly. things yeah. to do to... You know, the average person takes 11 years to actually get a diagnosis of OCD because it's so, it can take on any obsession. So you can nuanced, yeah. yeah. So there's obsessions over blinking or, or swallowing or a, a song is stuck in your head and it's literally like watching a movie mm. and you're forced to watch it and you can't press pause. Yeah. Mm. Okay. It's nonstop. It's nonstop. This is a whole topic on its own. I can yeah, talk this about this crazy. forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, super interesting. But yeah, I'm super proud of the psychiatrists that we have in Kuwait. Dr. Maryam Al-Awadi, Ibrahim Al-Mazidi. Mm. Um, um, so I really think um, this is something that should be highlighted. Um, I was always reluctant to talk about it. But I mean, mm. if if anyone I mean is listening to this podcast and they feel like, oh, this, this kind of resonates with me or this sounds like me, I definitely encourage to know like, Seek help. It's Absolutely. it's real. It's it's a thing. Um, don't be scared. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, for people to hear that and to feel seen and validated is so important. And the fact that you you know you've highlighted some some people yeah. within Kuwait, like some doctors within Kuwait that they can reach out to, and seek help from that are qualified and get your like stamp of uh, Dr. Faye approval. Of course. That's yeah. that's amazing. Well, I do encourage anyone who is, is having trouble with intrusive thoughts, with anything that is ailing them mentally, because it's just as important as your physical health um, to, to, to not hesitate and to reach out. Absolutely. Yeah. Truly. 
I mean, I was just going to say, so for you, once you kind of realized <coughs> what it was, what did you do to sort of help your situation? Um, so initially, like, I can't stress how confused I was in my head. Like, I did not feel myself, which made me really scared. Um, and obviously, some of the intrusive thoughts were really scary. And you couldn't, I couldn't just, you know, pick up the phone and go like, hi, mama, I'm, I'm having, well, like, these thoughts or those thoughts or my sister's. Mm. Um, because of how intrusive they were and how weird and odd they were. Um, but I think it took me a long time to accept it. It took me a long time to... Um, you know, really understand my brain mm. specifically, like Faith's brain, how I think, um, how it how it affects my life. You know, like my relationships, my my career, all of these things. Um, and I think having a supportive family and friends mm -hmm. uh, helped me so much. But you do get to terms with it. I think I've uh, tried to embrace it. Think this is who I am, mm. um, and. It's not something to be ashamed of. And I think I'm, if I could, you know, like send out one message, it's to really, you know, come to terms with the good and the bad, everything. Yeah. It's, it's what makes us who we are. And I think we should never stop learning mm. and being the best versions of ourselves. Yeah, there's always, Amazing. we can always grow and, and evolve into new versions. And it kind of goes back to what you said at the very beginning about like this emotional journey yeah. um, that you've experienced in the past year, but I think it can apply obviously to like our whole lives. Yeah, And uh, it's just like, yeah, being on this ride and I mean, we're on it, you know what I mean? Exactly. So we might as well learn about it and come to terms with it, like you said, and enjoy it when we can and obviously get the most out of it. But uh, I want to say thank you so much, Faye. Thank you for your openness. Ooh. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for being on here today. And Leanne. For thank being so guys. vulnerable. Thank you, Leanne, for, for chiming in. I always love it when you do. Oh, I have Thanks. one last thing. Shout oh. out to Zena. Shout out to Zena. Yeah. Shout out to Zena. She's your biggest fan <laughs> on this show. I want to say love you, Habibti. And uh, yeah. Perfect. Oh, my God. We love Zena. We love Zena. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to my episode with Faye today. I really appreciated her openness on her own mental health journey, her passion for neurology and her knowledge on what we're all going through today collectively. We talked about COVID, priorities and the importance of certainty in uncertain times. I hope you all enjoyed the episode as much as I did. Thank you again and take care.